Uh, if you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, as you can see, we've got the command to leave Horeb. <clears throat> Verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazareth, and Dizabah. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road. In the 14th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and at Adrai, had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtoreth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coasts, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See how I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. We're just going to move on to verse 19 from spies sent out. Then, as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went through the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me. So I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking with them some fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving to us. But you are unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are huge with walls up to the sky. We have even seen the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. But in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night, in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. Except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he will see it. And I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, you shall not enter it either, but your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you say would be taken captive, your children who yet do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons. 
thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command and in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Sire all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. Great, let's just turn over to chapter three. So from Moses forbidden to cross the Jordan. From verse 21 of chapter three. At that time, I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord. Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me any more about this matter. Go up to the top of Pishgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes, since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So we stayed in the valley near Beth Peel. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, evening, everyone. My name's Matt Fuller. If we've not met, it'd be lovely to do so at some point. And uh, as Ben said at the beginning, we're starting the uh, next couple of months. We're in the book of Deuteronomy. I don't know how well you know your Deuteronomy. Um, it's Jesus' favorite book of the Bible. He quotes from it more than any other in the New Testament. That may surprise you. Uh, I've spent quite a lot of time in Deuteronomy. I've, I've learned to love it. I hope you will do too, even though we need to orientate ourselves a little bit uh, this evening to make sense of what's going on. Let me lead us in prayer. Then we'll start together. Our Father, what a God you are. What an extraordinary God you are. There's no one like you. We've sung already of your goodness of your faithfulness, of how when you make a promise, we know you'll keep it. Fathers, return to your word. Would you speak that truth into our hearts so that we trust you, so that we obey you, so that we love you, and we walk in your ways. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some here will know already and will have discovered, some will discover, uh, perhaps, in the midst of time, uh, marriage is a wonderful blessing if you're married, and it's quite hard work. It's both. Often. Uh, and so on your wedding day, you turn up, uh, that's a good thing to do, and you turn up and uh, you say to your spouse, uh, I will be there. You know, will you take this woman? Will you take this man? La, 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 la. Uh, I will. In sickness and health, I will. I will be there. I will love them. I will love you in the future. One year, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, whatever it may be. Hence, I will. And it's quite easy on your wedding day because you, you sort of, everyone's in a good mood. Uh, there's a lot of bonhomie and uh, you've been waiting for the day for a little while. Uh, and so it's quite enjoyable. Well, no. It's very enjoyable most of the time. Uh, and it's quite easy to say, I love you. But then you go on honeymoon, and that's normally quite a good thing. And then you come back home, and then you have to start. And on Monday, you say, yeah, I promised I'd love you today. Okay, I love you. You're quite annoying. You're quite grumpy this morning. Uh, and I'm quite tired. But I will love you. That's right. I will love you. And on Tuesday, 
uh, uh, yeah, even worse, but I will love you. I'll love you, because I've committed to love you, and I will love you. And I'll think about it, I'll love you in the way we talk to one another. I'll love you in showing patience. I'll love you in serving you in different ways. I'll think about the best way of going about it. I'll discern over time the things you dislike and try and avoid them and the things you like and try and do them. I'll love you. I've committed to love you and so I will. On your wedding day, you promise to love your spouse from this day forth and forevermore. Not perfectly. No one loves their spouse perfectly. But as a, uh, an orientation of life, as your default setting, look, I'll go wrong, but I'm going to try to walk this way, to love you in this way. The book of Deuteronomy is a call to love the Lord from this day forth and forever, to love him. On Monday, to say, yes, I've resolved to love you. And I'm finding it a bit hard today, but I will. And on Tuesday, I've resolved to love you. And I will. In the small details of life, I'll love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. I'll love you as a response to who you are and all you've done for me. I will love you. I love you with very practical obedience. I love you. I love you in the details of life. And the book of Deuteronomy gets quite detailed as Israel is taught how to love and how they build their houses and how they eat their food. And it gets very detailed. And we'll get to that in time. But in one sense, that's all, that is the details. The headline is love him. So we'll spend whatever it is, two months here in this book of Deuteronomy. And it's Moses preaching sort of three sermons, but it really is a call, love him. There's none like him. You were made to love him. Love him with all you've got. He's so good. He's the one you need. He never breaks a promise. Love him. Choose to love him today, and choose it again tomorrow, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, love him. Make that choice each and every day. And once is the simple pattern of Deuteronomy is, if you remember what he's done for you in the past, you'll trust his promises for the future and you'll obey him in the present. It kind of works a bit like that often. You remember what he's done for you in the past, you'll trust his promises for the future, you'll obey him here in the present. And you'll well, all these words become synonymous in Deuteronomy. You'll love him, you'll serve him, you'll obey him, you'll walk in his ways, you'll trust him. It's the orientation of your life. Love him. Where are we biblically? Uh, obviously, Deuteronomy, uh, fifth book of the Bible. And uh, we're carrying on the story of the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. Uh, back in the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 12, God gives promises to Abraham, wonderful promises for him and his descendants, and says, broadly speaking, these four, uh, I'll give you uh, one, a huge number of descendants, more than the stars in the sky. You'll be a massive people. I'll bless you with my presence amongst you. You'll be a blessing to other people, and I'll give you a promised land to live in. You'll be people, you'll be blessed, you'll be a blessing, and you'll have a promised land. Here in Deuteronomy, they're on the fringes of the promised land, the borders. And Moses, the old centurion, whatever he is, 120 years old by this stage, on his last legs has got one more sermon, or three really, to preach. And it is, Israel choose to love him. It's really chapters one to three are a bit of an overture uh, to the whole book. Uh, and Moses is asking, as he will do throughout the whole book of Deuteronomy, okay, which way are you going to go? Which path are you going to choose? Is it going to be obedience and love and serving, or are you going to fail? You're going to fail to trust him, and therefore fail to obey him, uh, and go your own way, which is it going to be. He throws that question up from the off. And uh, really, chapters one to three are a history lesson. Let's just have a review how it's gone before, shall we? Uh, and so right at the beginning, you have optimism and pessimism. Chapter 1, verse 1, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel. 
they're in the wilderness, east of the Jordan, that is the Arabah. Okay, well, where are we? Slightly negative comment here, verse 2. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. Let's have a little bit of a map to see if we can orientate ourselves uh, a little bit. So uh, here we are uh, in the Sinai Peninsula, same then as, as it is today. And they had been at Mount Sinai or Horeb, one mountain, two names, uh, sort of Sinai the mountain, Horeb the region around it. Um, they'd been there. It takes 11 days to walk to Kadesh Barnea. So, you know, it's a bit like walking to John O'Groats from London, a bit like that sort of thing. Uh, it shouldn't be too hard. But it's taken them, we've got a little, a little arrows, whoop, it's taken them 40 years to get there. An 11-day journey taken 40 years because 40 years earlier they'd really bogged it up. They'd been at Kadesh Barnea. They should have just gone north whoop, uh, into Canaan, the promised land, but they've gone round and round in circles for 40 years. This has not gone well. Now, where are they? Next little one. Uh, they've crossed over uh, into Moab and um, as we read in a moment, they've just uh, killed, uh, they're in the region of Bashan, they just killed Og, uh, and they're about to cross uh, the Jericho back into Cordon. Sorry, sorry, they're about to just da, 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 cross the Jordan into Jericho and into Canaan. Okay? 40 years. For, I mean, I'm pretty bad at navigation. But Google means, you know, I don't get it that badly wrong. 40 years to go 11 days. It went very wrong in the past. So there's some pessimism there. But he's going to say, look, verse 4, Moses gives them this sermon after they'd defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and Edre, they'd defeated Og, king of Bashan. So look, just from the off, you get this picture. It's not gone very well. Uh, 40 years to walk uh, an 11-day walk, that's gone badly wrong. But, But you've known some victories. There's optimism and pessimism sort of side by side here. But the the call of what they're meant to do is chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord says, See, I have given you this land, the promised land, Canaan. I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he'd give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to their descendants after them. God says, I've promised you this land. Now, you've got to go in and take it. That's just an act of faith. But I have given it to you. You've got to come and take the apple from my hand, as it were. You've got to go in and actually go into the land that I've given you. That's what I'm asking you to do. Choose to obey me. And then the rest of these chapters, one to three, are a little bit of a history lesson about how it's gone in the past. Let me try and simplify it like this. Moses says that there was failure when you disobeyed God, but there's hope when you trust him. Okay, so just those two. There's failure when you disobeyed God, but there's hope when you trust him. We spend most of our time in chapter one, I think. we see how we get on. So chapter one, the point here is, there was failure in the past when you disobeyed God. Let's pick it up at verse 19. Here's what happened 40 years earlier. The Lord our God commanded us as we set out from Horeb and went out towards the hill country, the Amorites, through all that vast and dreadful wilderness you've seen. So we reached Kadesh Barnea. Ah, they've been here once before. Yes. Then I said to you, you've reached the hill country, the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it. The Lord your God of ancestors has promised you this. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go up. Don't fear. Don't panic. The land has been promised to you. It's yours. Reach out and take it. Well, before they did so, Israelites decided to send some spies into the promised land. You can read all about this back in the uh, uh, book of Numbers, 15, 16. So what happened? Well, some, uh, they suggested some spies. Moses says this is a good idea. So verse 24, the spies left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported, it's a good land that the Lord is giving us. It's good land and it's a gift. That's a nice combination. Anyone comes up to you and says, I have a good thing 
and I'm giving it to you, you say, thank you very much. Okay, that's just generally how it works. Good land, say the spies who've gone up, and it's a gift. But Israel bog it in two ways. The first in verses 26 to 33 is they say, we don't trust the Lord to fight for us. We don't trust him. Verse 26. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt with fear. Wow, it's quite a thing to say, isn't it? God says, I'm giving you this land, and it's great. It's incredibly fertile. You could do all sorts of things. You'll be all sorts of resources, natural resources. You'll be wealthy. And the people say, God hates us. I don't want what he's got for me. Well, it starts with murmuring or grumbling. Verse 27, you grumble in your tents. That's how normally disobedience begins. You sort of grumble on your own. You grumble with someone else. The Lord hates us. Wow, the Lord who parted the Red Sea, the Lord who miraculously gave you food and water every day in the desert, the the Lord who rescued you from slavery, the the Lord who spoke to you at Mount Sinai. But you see, it's really three things in verse 28 that completely throw them. God has said, go and take this land. But their spies have said, well, verse 28, well, where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, well, three things. The people are stronger and taller than we are. Secondly, the cities are large with walls up to the sky. And thirdly, we even saw the Anakites. Now, pause. Anakites, uh, uh, at the time, they're massive. They're just this this race of giants. It's like being an 11-year-old schoolboy, and you, you go out onto the rugby pitch, and facing you is the first 15 of the All Blacks. The All Blacks, and they're doing the hacker in front of us. That's the sort of sense you get. Uh, The Anakites. Very unfortunately, we used to have a very sweet girl here at church. She's about five foot two, tiny, delightful, sweet, petite. Her name was Anakite. And um, the office was always very naughty, because whenever the word Anakites appeared in the Old Testament, they got her up to read, which completely (laughs) is the least intimidating person you can ever imagine. Okay, No, this is... The giants. Well, what is, what is this? God has said, go and take this land, but the people are taller. They're stronger than us, generally. The cities, have you seen them? The walls are up to the sky. And the Anakites are there. I know that doesn't fill you with fear, but they should do. Okay, The Anakites are there. Well, Moses replies and says, well, let me tell you three things, verse 29. Don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. Here's what you need to know. The Lord your God is going before you. God is with you. Secondly, he'll fight for you. Who cares if the All Blacks are facing you, if you've got, I don't know, a load of tanks that can just roll over the turf and carry the rugby ball in them. I know that breaks the rules. Just run with it. What does it matter? You've got God. He's with you, he'll fight for you, and he'll care for you. Look, you've seen this before. He'll fi- as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness, you, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you reach this place. Why would you be scared? God's with you, he fights for you, he cares for you like a dad with his kid. Why would you be scared? But verse 32, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. The Lord your God, verse 33, who went ahead with you on your journey in fire by night, in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and show you the way. The the Lord your God, who's completely looked after you every step of the way, you didn't trust him. They had every reason to 
to trust the Lord, but they forgot who their God was with them, fight for them, care for them, destroys Egypt. They had every reason to trust him. They just forgot how good he was, how powerful he was. Uh, let me take a true story and embellish it to the point where I'd be hard pushed to say it's completely true. But anyway, let me tell you a story from a few years ago, which was uh, at university. I was uh, good friends with a girl called Anna, a uh, very sweet girl. And uh, one year at university, as is often the case, uh, we, there was a 24-hour hitch to Amsterdam. So you had to hitch. You, you were allowed to pay for the ferry, uh, but the rest of it, um, they get a bit fussy, ferry companies, but the rest of it, you had to hitch your lifts uh, either side of, uh, of the water to, uh, to get to Amsterdam. And, um, you know, some did well and got there very quickly. Others didn't do so well. It took, took quite a long time. Uh, but anyway, everyone eventually, even if you have to pay for it, uh, everyone eventually ended up in Amsterdam. Uh, Anna was part of the gang and uh, a very slight, so Anakite type size, uh, and uh, got very excited and was thrilled and did this great achievement. And it's fair to say had one or two drinks too many. Um, and uh, her behavior was not great. Uh, I think she became known what's deemed as a public nuisance uh, and became acquainted with the local police force and uh, their hospitality overnight um, in Amsterdam. Uh, and I think in Amsterdam, you've got to be going some to do that, actually, but um, uh, uh, she was acquainted uh, with the inside of a prison cell. Now, the problem with this is such a massive gang of, of, of us had gone on this trip uh, and the next day, the sort of gang gets back on the ferry and goes back to university. And actually, no one noticed that Anna wasn't there. It's not great. Uh, but it's such, you know, such a big gang, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of people. You just assume that someone's off with another group. So she found herself alone in a prison cell, having lost all her possessions, no money, passport, nothing. And... Okay, it's Holland, it's not the other side of the world, but that's still pretty unpleasant experience. And unsurprisingly, she was a little tearful and upset, and what am I going to do about this? How do I get out of this fix? I've screwed up. And at that point, she remembered, this is the true bit of the story, uh, she remembered who her dad was. And her dad at the time, well, he was the head of MI6. <laughs> Tangent, not M, that's made up. There is no one called M in MI6. But he was really the head of the MI6. And as she came out of her fug and her uh, ridiculous hangover, thought to herself, dad can probably help. He can probably know some friendly consul or something to get me out of this fix. And sure enough, one phone call to dad and a little pressure applied by him. And um, a, hone, a hole was blown in the wall and the, yeah, she, she got out. It was miserable until she remembered who her dad was. Israel is terrified because they've forgotten who their God was. Oh, when you remember who he is, the power he has, and he's your father and cares for you like a dad with his kid, then you're okay. And for you and for me, it's very easy to forget who our father is. It's very easy to forget who our God is. Question. The question comes, how can I trust the Lord with this problem? in my life, this scenario? How can I trust him? How can I trust him when I'm facing, look, I'm not facing Anakites, but how can I trust him when I'm facing whatever it is, bullying at work, a massive bank loan, utter exhaustion, unemployment, loneliness? How can I trust him in this scenario and keep obeying him and be faithful to him and love him when, well, the answer is you need to know who your dad is. You need to know who your God is, that he's with you, 
that he's for you, that he cares for you. You need to know that if you're going to obey him. Very easy to grumble. Go and grumble in our houses, grumble in our tents and say, well, the Lord doesn't love me, he probably hates me. Very easy to think that sometimes. He's abandoned me in the wilderness. Don't forget who your God is. He's with you. He's for you. He cares for you. He carries you like a father. It's such a lovely picture. Such a lovely picture, verse 31. The Lord your God carried you as a father carries your son. Uh, in our family, we've had, I guess you'd say we've had two children, and uh, uh, on both occasions I've loved carrying them. Uh, it's lovely, you know, having the sort of the, whatever it's called, the baby Bjorn, the sling on your front, a manly version, obviously. Uh, and then they get a little bit bigger, and that's a bit heavy. Uh, and you know, a little rucksack, a backpack, and you chuck them in there from the age of, say, one up to two. And it's great. You, you know, you can go for a big hike, you know, five, ten-mile walk uh, with a kid on your back. And, you know, they sort of yank on your hair, and uh, they're up there like a little prince. Uh, and they go, and you go, they go, and uh, you're like, sort of look like a trained mule, and you think, I've been trained by an 18-month-year-old to how to behave. This is all counterintuitive. It's all wrong. But it kind of happens like that, and it's great fun. Do you know what? I don't put a teenager on my rucksack, in my, on my back, and carry them 10 miles. There's a limit. But the Lord does. He says, I'll carry you. You can trust me. It doesn't matter what the Anakites are like in front of you. You can trust me. We have every reason to trust him. Israel didn't. That was their first mistake or their first pattern of rebellion. We don't trust the Lord to fight for us. Verses 26 to 33. And so the result is, well, verses 34 to 40, the Lord says, well, away you go. This is 40 years earlier, and the Lord said to that people, Go. I abandon you to the wilderness. So, um, uh, what do you want to read? Verse 34. Uh, when the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, No one from this evil generation will see the good land that I swore to give your ancestors. Verse 39. What happens? The little ones you said will be taken captive. Your children, you were scared that the Amicites were going to take and capture and eat. Well, they don't know yet good from bad. They're not culpable for this. They'll enter the land. I'll give it to them and they'll take possession of it. But as for you lot, turn around and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. It's an anti-exodus. Back to Egypt you go. And so the whole generation that had left Egypt in the exodus and had seen the wonders, the, the plagues, the miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, they all died in the wilderness. And now, 40 years later, Moses is saying, are you going to do the same? Are you going to trust him or not? And he keeps saying, you did this. You made this mistake. No, no, because he's saying, you are your father's children. You're, you're the same people as them. I know you weren't there or you weren't culpable, but you kind of were in the sense that they were your parents. Are you going to do the same? That was their first mistake. They didn't trust the Lord to fight for them. The second, let me tweak it from what's on the sheets. The second error in verses 41 to 46 is we expect the Lord to fight for us. If their first error is we don't trust the Lord, now they say, oh, okay, well, we expect him to fight for us. Verse 41 of chapter 1. God says, you'll never enter the promised land. Oh, but then you replied, verse 41, oh, we've, we've sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight. Just as the Lord commanded us, so every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it was easy to go up to the hill country. Oh, whoopsie, we got that wrong, God. You said, go up. We said, oh, no, they're too scary. You said, well, I'm with you, and I'll help you. And we said, oh, we don't trust you. Uh, and you said, right, you're all going to die in the wilderness. Well, we don't like that very much, so you're right. Now we will obey you. So, uh, sorry, can we carry on as if nothing had happened? And God says, verse 42, no. The Lord said to them, tell them, don't go up and fight. Because I'll not be with you. And you'll be defeated by your enemies. And verse 43, they ignore the Lord. So I told you what God had said, don't go up. But you, see how the language is piled up here. You would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command. And in your arrogance... 
you marched up into the hill country. Do you see the rebellion? Oh, God will forgive us. I know he said we've made a mistake. You know, we got it wrong. But God will forgive us. And um, of course he will. So, I mean, I know he's saying, don't do it, but we'll do it. Um, there's a sort of superficial repentance to them here. And so there's disaster. Verse 44, the Amorites who lived in those hills came out like, um, against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord. Oh, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. Because you see, the problem is the Lord wants obedience, not tears. That's what he wants from his people. He wants obedience. Not superficial repentance. Oops, got that wrong, let's have another go. Not, no, not tears even. He wants obedience. There's a world of, difference, world of difference between regret. I don't like this. I don't like what the Lord is saying. And repentance. I'll change my life and obey him. Regret. Oops, sorry, Lord. Repentance. I'll do whatever you say. And so many examples come to mind, but I can think of sitting with a young uh, unmarried woman in her 20s who was pregnant because she'd slept with her boyfriend and she cried and she cried and was deeply shamed and sorry for what she'd done wrong and golly, that was complicated and okay, let's make plans and we'll get married now and now about six weeks later she miscarried and um, the pregnancy came to an end. And a couple of months after that, she slept with her boyfriend again and again. And at that point, you think, okay, your tears, why were you crying? It wasn't repentance, because you'd not changed. Oh, it was regret. Oops, got this wrong. Oops. People are going to think less of me now. Oops, this is awkward. Tears of regret, sure, yeah. But not repentance because you've not changed. And the Lord wants obedience. Much more than he wants tears. There was failure when you, literally your, your parents, disobeyed God two ways they failed. We don't trust the Lord to fight for us and we expect the Lord to fight for us even when we don't obey him. There's failure when you disobeyed God. But as without, throughout this book, amidst the failure, there's always hope. So secondly, more briefly, there's hope. There's hope when you trust God. Uh, chapters two and three are really all about hope. Uh, let's just pick it up from the end of chapter one. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, uh, all the time you spend there. Yeah, there are about uh, 13,880 days wandering around the wilderness. So that is many days. That's sort of uh, 38 years worth of days. But then chapter two, verse one, everything changes. The chapter two is dominated by movement. Chapter one, they just go round and round and round in circles. Chapter two, there's all movement, movement forward. So chapter two, verse one, we turned back and set towards the wilderness uh, along the route to the Red Sea as the Lord had directed. Uh, and there's progress here. Because God had promised them all along that they would enter this land. They would enter the land. So chapter 2, verse 7, even in the wilderness, uh, even in the 38 years of wandering around, chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He's watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You've not lacked anything because he'd promised that you would make it into the promised land. Now, the first half of chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 23, uh, we won't look at them, but they're basically saying, look, even your half-brothers, when they obey God, they get to conquer the giants. They defeat the <gasps> Anakites. So there's precedent here. But what about you? 
your conquest began and has been going okay so far. Let's pick it up at chapter 2, verse uh, 24. Okay, let's start all over again, says the Lord. And all this, see all these verbs telling them what they're to do. Set out now and cross the Arnon Gorge. See, I've given into your hand Sion, the Amorite king of Heshbon and his country. Begin, take possession, engage him in battle. Go for it. Go for it. Get on with it. Crack on. Because, and here are the promises that they need. Uh, Where are we? Verse uh, 24 of chapter 2. I have given into your hand, Sion the Amorite. You can go up and take and you can go up and you'll have victory because I have given you the good land. Just trust me. And verse 25, uh, this very day I, begin, I will begin to put the terror and fear of you of all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish of you. Everyone's going to be scared of you because they hear of what you do. And so in chapter two, they, they conquer this king, Sihon, king of Heshbon. We won't look at that. Briefly look with me at, uh, um, in chapter three. They also managed to defeat Og, king of Bashan. This is going on at the time. This is the children, okay? These are not those who failed and died in the wilderness. So pick it up at um, uh, verse 3 of chapter 3. So the Lord our God gave into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. Look what they say. At that time, we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we didn't take from them, the whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom in Bashan. But verse 5, this is interesting. All these cities were fortified with high walls and with gates and bars. And there was also a great number of many walled villages and we completely destroyed them. Chapter one, go up, says the Lord, and, and, and conquer the promised land. Have you seen the size of the cities? Have you seen the size of the walls? They're enormous, we're not going up. Chapter three, oh yeah, we conquered it all. God was with us, so we defeated everything in our path, how we really can trust him. Even the giants, look at the size of Og's bed. This is a lovely detail. So Og, the king of Bashan, he's massive. Uh, Look at verse 11. Og, king of Bashan, was last of the Rephaites. His bed was decorated with iron and was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. You can read it um, at six foot by 13 foot. And you can still go and see it, they say, just so you know we're telling the truth, it's in Rabba of the Ammonites. That's a big bed, six foot by 13 foot. You've got to be some sort of giant to sleep in a bed like that. You know how beds work? There's single, there's double, there's king size, there's super king size, six foot, six foot. But try going into John Lewis and saying, can I have an og-sized bed? (laughs) Excuse me, sir, madam, I I don't know what you mean. It's six foot by 13 foot. Why would you want that? Oh, I have a friend who's a giant. This is, the bloke's massive. So they've conquered the cities with the walls up to the skies, and they've defeated the king, who is enormous. Oh, just like they could have done 40 years earlier. The big precedent here is if they trust in the Lord, all will go well. There's hope. They will get to the promised land. They will inherit all that God has promised them if they trust him. I won't go through them all, but uh, uh, half a dozen times you get here the Lord saying, I have given you this land. I have given you this land. Of course, they need the promise. Chapter 3, verse 2. Do not be afraid. I have delivered him into your hands. Do not be afraid. And in really simple terms, what, what Israel has to learn is if they trust God's promise, they will keep his commands. And they have every reason to trust his promises because he never fails on any of them. They've seen so many promises fulfilled. 
a little while ago, we were staying on a campsite in France. It had quite a good uh, sort of activity centre. This was Easter, and so we, we arrived, and it wasn't open. And, uh, but the 1st of April, the activity centre opened up, so we booked in to, uh, uh, to have a go on some of the, uh, the stuff there. The sort of centrepiece was uh, this massive zip wire. I mean, it was, I don't know, I, uh, uh, 50 foot in the air, I, is that quite a lot? I mean, that's, it was massive. Uh, three times the height of this building, I don't know, I lose track of the size. But that sort of, it was massive zip wire. Uh, all the way down, you know, a sort of not a, not a sort of 10 second thing, a sort of, uh, ooh, I'm falling asleep, you know, a really long sort of, uh, you know, very high up in the trees. Where does it end? I don't know. Uh, massive thing. And so um, we signed up, yeah, we're going to do that, yeah, we're going to do that. And uh, so my son and I, we signed up, yeah, we're going to do that big old zip wire. And so up again, you're, you're harnessed and, you know, uh, and um, there's about 10 of us, uh, 10 of us on the platform at the top. And uh, the instructor, Jean-Claude, says, um, right, who's first? Who's first? Uh, who's first? Um, and uh, it is us and probably, uh, I don't know, eight, ten uh, teenagers. And there's quite a lot of... Uh, and uh, eventually one of them, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll go first. And uh, so, you know, fully, you know, completely strapped in to the, to the zip line, etc. cetera. Uh, Allez! Uh, and the blow sort of goes and... Uh, oh, oh. Uh, Allez! And he's a little bit white. Ooh. Oh, buff. And, um, and off, he, off he goes, and, um, and you hear on the... Because you can't see the bloke land, it's so far away, but you hear, uh, he's finished, he's down, obviously in French. Um, uh, my, uh, the bloke, okay, next. Okay. Uh, no one is super clear, and everyone's sort of quite a long way from Jean-Claude. They don't want his uh, sort of positive reinforcements coming up behind them. But eventually, of course, the next one goes, and the next one goes. And it gets a bit easier because no one dies, apparently. Uh, you can hear them all saying at the other end, yes, they've landed safely, the next one can come. And so by the time it came to me, and I sort of, I, I went last, just to make sure everyone was safe. And uh, it was okay, because I'd seen the faithfulness, if I could written those terms, of the team running this activity They'd said, everyone will be fine, and everyone was fine. So by the time it came to me, number 10, to go down, it was fine. If you're a Christian, you've seen the Lord keep so many of his promises. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. In Jesus Christ, you've seen so many promises kept. That God himself came. And he's died so we can be forgiven. He's paid the price for all we've done wrong. And he's risen again and says, I can take you to be with me. And I'm coming back. Oh, we're waiting for that one. But given that God has kept all his promises, we can trust him and obey him here and now. We can obey him. So when God says, look, obeying me in the here and now, that is the best thing. For you, we can trust him because we know he keeps his promises. There's failure when you disobeyed God, but there's hope when you trust him. Very briefly, we have read those last few verses in chapter three because it ends on a bit of a bum note, I'm afraid, the history lesson from the past. It ends on a bum note. Uh, We're told Moses doesn't get to enter the promised land. Moses, Moses, the man who's led them for 40 years, Moses doesn't get to enter the promised land. He's part of the generation barred from entry. And here is the book of Deuteronomy, I'm afraid. It alternates between, on the one hand, the somber note that Israel failed in the past, Israel will fail in the future. There's this sort of solemn tune all the way through Deuteronomy. Do, 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 you know, the sort of funeral march. It goes all the way through. But alongside that is, there's hope. God has promised you'll enter this land and you'll be in this land. So alongside the somber note, there's sort of a more cheerful... But these two, they run side by side throughout the book. Israel, when you look at yourself, you should be discouraged because you just keep failing. You failed in the past. 
You failing, and I'm going to tell you, you'll fail in the future. When you look at yourself, Israel, be discouraged. Even Moses doesn't get to the promised land. But when you look at God, there is enormous hope. Enormous hope. So you read the book of Deuteronomy and think, well, what's going to win? The Israelite constant failure or God's promises, which will win? Oh, well, in the end, God's promises always win. His gracious gifts always win. But we'll get there eventually. Only after there's been death and judgment for Israel. Israel lives with optimism and pessimism in the Old Testament and in the book of Deuteronomy. The difference if you're a Christian here tonight is you... Well, you should be a hopeful person, an optimistic person. Because unlike Israel that failed and was punished and sent into wilderness again and again. The Christian is the one who knows that they will fail, but Jesus was sent into the wilderness so that you and I will go to the promised land of heaven. So you should be, we should be optimistic people despite our failures because we know that Christ has paid for them. And in the meantime, while we live on this earth, love the Lord. He's with you. He's for you. He cares for you. Love him, which means obey him, which means trust him, which means walk in his ways. Remember who your God is. And you can obey him. Choose to do that today and Monday and Tuesday. Let's pray together. A great God and Father, we confess we often forget who you are, how good you are that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you care for us. And therefore, we struggle to obey you. Would those of us who are Christians tonight, would we know clearly that you are good, that you care for us as a father cares for his child, that you are on our side, and even in our failures, we can trust that because of the work of Christ, you will take us to the promised land. With that good promise, would we obey you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.